0: You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Exodus. The book of Exodus underlines God's desire to rescue people from their misery to a life of promise, meaning, and fulfillment. This eight-week series explores key moments within Exodus in order to more fully appreciate God's love for people. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We're going to continue uh, in our series called Exodus. Exodus. And I'm going to read from you from this uh, Black Bible, page 61. It's Exodus 20. And uh, you can turn there, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that you know what I'm going to say. So I'll get started. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Now, I'll never forget um, my son, Simon, uh, a few years back when he was around five years old. We we lived in this cool three-story house in South City. Uh, It was built in 1904, and some friends of ours had just bought a newer home. And my son is very curious, and so he began to ask, well, how old is our home? And I said, well, it's about 105 years old. And he's like, whoa, it should be dead by now. And, <laughs> and, I, uh, and it caused me to reflect that in large part in our culture, um, we honor progress over the past. Uh, we're looking for the latest and the greatest. I mean, we're, uh, the other day I was looking through some old shoeboxes looking for a receipt, and I came across the iPhone 1, like the original one, and I pulled it out, and it was like my kids were in awe. Like, we've only seen this in a museum. I didn't even know, didn't even know that thing existed. And so, because, you know, if you follow Apple's plan for your life, you know, you'll get a new phone every 12 to 18 months. And if you don't, you're not going to be able to keep up with the latest apps and stuff and technology and updates. But it's not just technology, but uni- university professors, most of them anyway, will not use a textbook that's older than four years old. Even like on ancient history, which is like, you would think like, it's ancient, you know what I mean? It's not like it's changing every second, um, that we are progressive people. Now, knowing this about our world, who would dare point to 10 laws written more than 3,000 years ago as a centerpiece for human behavior and human flourishing? I mean, that's just absurd. Well, let me show you what Jesus said. In Matthew 5, it says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, which that's a long time, not an iota, not a dot, will pass in the law until it's accomplished. Now, this is an amazing statement because it's saying that there's nothing in this world that is sturdier or stronger than the law of God. Fads will come and go, ideas come and go, people come and go, even the mountain, the stars, and the sun have come and they will go, but what God says is true, and it's authoritative, but it's also perpetually relevant and foundational for our lives. Now, there's a lot of confusion around the Ten Commandments, and I would love to, uh, I mean, you get to stuff like this, it's like, man, this needs to be uh, just a massive series in its own, and we need to have Q&A and talk about it. And in fact, yesterday, um, location pastor here in the city Uh, texted me and said, hey, what are you you preaching on, Ten Commandments? He's like, what are you going to say? And I'm like, I don't know. I've been like literally studying for this for a really long time. I have no idea because there's a lot of of angles and people get confused about what it means. Some view it as a way of righteousness. Uh, My wife used to subscribe to this magazine real simple. I just want to reiterate, my wife did this. And so... And uh, in this magazine, it, it, I kept it because it was, it was a fascinating take on all the major world religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and under what it says Christians believe, this is what they say Christians believe, Jesus came to earth to redeem a sinful humanity. Sounds good. He was born of Mary, was crucified and died, and was buried on the third day and rose from the dead. All good. Now here's what, where it gets confusing. Christians who follow the Ten Commandments and live by Jesus' example win eternal salvation and are spared the torments of hell. Now, some people view the Ten Commandments, the law, as this is what I have to do. I have to obey these rules for God to love me. Christianity, you know, it's about keeping it clean. Don't, uh, don't, you don't make mistakes and you've got to do everything right. It's about following the rules. Let me show you uh, probably one of the most... Important paragraphs in all the Bible in Romans three. Um, this is what Paul says. But now the righteousness of God, and that word righteousness means like, hey, we're God and I are cool. Like we're connected. We're we're on the right track. We're we're okay with God. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested. has been made clear. Uh, uh, has presented itself apart from the law. So we have this righteousness from God that's not dependent on us fulfilling the law. Meaning like us obeying. Although the law and the prophets bear witness of it. Basically saying like this is something that doesn't just talk in the New Testament, but actually from the beginning of time, it's always been about faith and grace. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So that's how we get it. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning saying like if righteousness depended on us following the rules. Let me, Paul's saying, let me be just super clear Nobody ever has and nobody ever will be able to do that. This is why people who feel like Christianity is about, I'm saved because I obey the law, are very, very discouraged. Because everybody falls short. There is no distinction. There is no like, well, this person's really good and this person's really bad. Everybody is bad. In fact, Jesus said in uh, Luke 11, I think it is, he says, there is no one good but God. No, one. So all four sure and are justified mean made right by his grace as a gift. So, so anybody who's going to be made right, anyone who's going to be saved, it's going to be a gift. It's going to be grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Others, though, so that's one confusion. That's the biggest confusion. It's like, well, I'm supposed to obey the rules and how does this all work? And hopefully some things I say today will help you with that. Now, others disregard the law as being antiquated and nullified once Jesus showed up. But Jesus didn't come to nullify the law. He came to fulfill the law. I mean, there are these rites of purification in you know, Leviticus and Numbers that talk about the, the quality of the sacrifice, and, and they're pointing to Jesus, and they have to, do with, they have to do with those kinds of things. And those things were fulfilled, you know, like you know, never mix you know, flax with wool. You guys know that, right? Like, if you want to... Well, don't. you don't do that, but that, those are things that were uniquely about the sacrifice of Jesus that we don't pay attention to, but the law of God, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, what God says is still very uh, much intact. In fact, Jesus comes along on the Sermon on the Mount and says, hey, I'm going to take these Ten Commandments, and I, those were like JV, like... It says don't murder, but I say don't even hate. It says don't commit adultery, but I say don't even lust, look lustfully after a woman. So Jesus didn't come to say, hey, these rules, you don't have to worry about these anymore. We don't have to worry about them as it results to salvation. Um, but there, there's, some, there's, there's a purpose to them that we need to get. And they, they play two very important roles. One is that it shows us our sin. It's like a spiritual MRI. Like Paul says things like, I didn't even know I was sinning until I looked at the law and says, yeah, I'm sinning. I was, uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but it just popped in my head. I was with an unknown member of the church. And the police came by and told them that they were doing something wrong, that they didn't realize they were doing wrong. Now, this I'm totally in it. He didn't know. He was naive about it. But he was like, oh, I didn't even know I was doing something wrong until the law came and showed him he was doing something wrong. And the law of God is like that. Sometimes we see something or a friend shows us or we read it on ourselves. It's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that that was wrong. So one of the things is the law is like a spiritual MRI. And it tells us that we're spiritually sick in need of a Savior. And that is a great message in itself. That's what we're going to talk about today. The second use of the law is that it shows us the path to life. It shows us how to please God, how to honor Him and fully love others, therefore experience the fullness of life. Uh, David says in Psalm 1611, you have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with your joy in your presence. Now Moses, David's talking about the scripture. Moses knew the law on stone tablets, but Jeremiah the prophet and others would say it's going to be a day where it's no longer this external force trying to force you into this moral behavior, but there's going to be this internal desire that God's going to do. Uh, Jeremiah says it this way, for the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, that is God's people, after these days declares the Lord I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And that is speaking of the Spirit of God. When you become a Christian, God puts His Spirit in you. And and it's like telling you what to do. The the Spirit of God inside the child of God is pulling you in this direction, saying, hey, I want you to go this way. This is what God wants you to do. Now, oftentimes, um, we have this big battle going on where it's like, you know, we want to go this, or the Spirit of God saying, go in this way, but we want to go this way. And we're in this conflict. But this, the Spirit of God's always telling us, go this way, go this way, like a GPS inside of us. Go this way, go this way. And then we want to go this way. And it's like recalculating, go this way, recalculating. You know, it, it keeps pointing us in the direction that we need to go. This was true for the Israelites and true for us, that God had saved them. And God was wanting to lead them into a land of promise. He's wanting to lead them into fulfillment. And he's like, I need to give you my law so we can, so you can experience this life what God is saying that if you want fullness of life it comes through obedience this isn't on the screen but let me read to you Exodus 19 4 through 6 it's important to have context before Exodus 20 is Exodus 19 interesting how that works this is what this is this is God preparing Moses to give him the Ten Commandments you yourselves have seen what, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's call in our life is to obedience. First Samuel 15, 22 says, I desire obedience. I don't, you know, sacrifices." Cool and all, but I, what I really want from you is obedience. Now, we are kind of afraid of that word, obedience. We're not familiar with it. Uh, intuitively, it seems like a barrier to our freedom and to our happiness. But God's wanting us to know it's, 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 the, it's like the doorway to fulfillment and peace. Because to obey means to have a willingness to have our will crossed. For me to obey means I have to be willing for what I want to do to be crossed. Uh, obedience is very similar to what it means to have discipline. And perhaps you understand what it means to have physical discipline. To have physical discipline means physically you have to have your physical will crossed. There are things that you physically want to do that feel right and good. And it is your will to do them, but you have to be willing to let them be crossed if you want physical Uh, to be in good physical shape. For example, if you decide to go running, and so you set your alarm and and the next morning uh, the alarm goes off and it feels absolutely right to stay in bed. (laughs) Your body wants to stay in bed, your emotions want to stay in bed, your mind begins rationalizing why it's better to stay in bed, you know, I'll start tomorrow, I think there's like a 5% chance of rain, Uh, I I feel like I have a cramp, it's too hot, it's too cold. And besides, it's probably better for me physically if I get rest anyway. And so it's like you get in that moment. In that moment, what you want, what you will, what is right is for you to stay in bed. However, if you are under physical discipline, you will cross your will. I will get up. I will run. I will do these things. I will lift weights. There's chocolate cake right in front of you, and you want it. In fact, it feels wrong not to even take a taste. Physical discipline is that you cross your will. And if you're really serious, you will actually pay someone to stand over you and tell you what to do, to have authority over your physical health. They will tell you what to eat, and you will eat it. They will tell you to run another lap, and you will run another lap. They will tell you to do another rep, and you will do another rep. Because ultimate physical freedom comes from crossing your own will. You must say no to your physical will to get physical fulfillment. That's obedience. Now, here's my question. Spiritually and morally speaking, when are we ever going to give God the same authority we give our gym coach? The two fastest growing ideas as it relates to God in the United States are this. They seem like opposites, but they're the same. One is uh, secular atheism that says there is no God. Uh, The other is this kind of New agey spiritism that says, like, you know, God is in everything and there's a miracle around every corner. Uh, You you can understand people's thoughts. And it's interesting because these ideas seem like the same because one says, like, there is no God. The other says, well, there's God, you know, everything is God. But they're absolutely the same thing because a common thread between the two is that it puts me, if I believe do one of those things, it puts me at this, the, the center of moral authority. And what I, how I feel, how I think, what makes sense to me is what's true and what's right. And consequently, I can never have my moral will crossed. If you applied that to your physical world, you would die at a young age. Our culture has no provision for moral discipline because we are so conditioned to whatever feels right, whatever we think is right, whatever appears, whatever appears right. God is wanting to take you somewhere. He says, don't you want to experience the love I have, the peace I have, the joy I have, the wisdom I have, the nobility I have? Then let me cross your will, but we won't, and if we won't, we stay in this wilderness where the Israelites found themselves, and we never experienced the fullness of life that God has for us. You you remember the Karate Kid? Remember that? Like the first one from the 80s? The Karate Kid um, tells you everything you need to know about Christianity. (laughs) Bet you didn't know that. See, because Daniel wanted to learn karate from the master. He wanted to learn karate. So he says, will you teach me karate? Mr. Miyagi, will you teach me karate? He says, yes, come back tomorrow. So he comes back tomorrow. He says, okay, now uh, sand my floors. And so Daniel sands his floors, and he does it all day. And he says, okay, uh, we, tomorrow will you teach me karate? Yeah, I'll teach you karate tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. So he comes back tomorrow. He says, paint my fence. So he paints his fence all day long, like this, like this, like this, like this. And he's like, okay, I painted the fence. Mr. Miyagi, will you teach me karate tomorrow? He's like, yes, come back tomorrow. I'll teach you karate. He comes back tomorrow. He says, okay, now wax his car like this. Wax on, wax off. (laughs) And this car, this car, this car, this car. And then at the end of all this, he just blows up. He's like, man, you're just using me. You're telling me to do all these arbitrary things. And I want to learn karate, but all I'm doing is being your slave. And Mr. Miyagi, who's like this iconic scene, where he he begins to show him that this whole time he what Daniel thought were just arbitrary commands that didn't seem to have a purpose actually what he was teaching him was the reflexes of karate and he wove that into his lessons and what God wants to do in your life he wants to teach you the reflexes of obedience and he's weaving that in you're like doesn't make any sense to me let me just tell you something obedience is not agreement Obedience is not agreement. So, like, if I say to my kids, like, hey, come in the kitchen. I want you to eat ice cream. And they're like, see, we are good little boys and girls who obey because when my dad says I have ice cream, by golly, we go have an ice cream. That's not a, you're agreeing with me. Obedience is the willingness to have your will crossed. It's not like, oh, I agree with this, so I'll do this. or I don't agree with this, I don't even understand this, so I won't do that. God is coming to us like Mr. Miyagi, and we're like, I want fullness, I want joy, I want peace. And he tells us to do this, like, don't eat that apple, don't eat from that tree. Did you know that God never said Why? Sometimes we don't know why. Christians, when's the last time you just did what God said just because he said it? Not because you got it. Not because he explained it to you. You just did it because he said it. Do you want peace? Do you want joy? Do you want wisdom? Do you want these things? Do you want to go where he wants you to take him? Where he wants to take you? See, see, Daniel just thought it was these arbitrary rules that he was following, and we read our Bible. This is just arbitrary. I don't get this. I get this, but I get love your neighbor. I don't get this over here. He's teaching you. He's showing you. Now, why is it? Why is obedience important? Well, obedience is important because he's taking us into a relationship with himself obedience is not the end. Obedience is a means to an end. Let me show you something in 1 John 2. And by this we know that we have come to know him. What's that next line? You're like, I can't read that far. If we keep his commands. That's that's like the New Testament. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a... And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, please don't get confused. It's not saying if you don't obey him, God won't love you. But that he's saying that there's an experience, there's an intimacy, there's a relationship that happens when we obey God. This isn't just true of the New Testament. It's true of the Old Testament narrative. Again, going back to Exodus 19, he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out of myself. So, he, so the Ten Commandments did not happen in Egypt. They happened after Egypt. He comes to them and he just saved him by his grace through faith. Uh, they believed in the message of Moses. Uh, the message of Moses is God wants to save you. He's bringing you out. And it was confirmed by signs and wonders, which is another message. And by faith, they believed him, and they came out. And then, now that I've saved you, I want you to obey because I want to take you to a place of blessing. It wasn't like, hey, he didn't come to the Israelites and say, hey, look, here's ten laws. If you obey them, I'll get you out of here on Engel's wings. He just, by grace, comes and saves them. So they're saved, they're loved, they're, they're chosen by him and placed out, just like you and me. He says, now here's how you relate to me. This is my will for you. This is huge, and I want to double down here because what separates, because every religion calls for obedience, but what's unique about Christianity is that every other religion says, if you obey, you'll be saved. Christianity says you are saved, now therefore obey. We are not saved uh, by good works, but we are saved to good works. We're saved to something. And that's why sometimes the Bible gets so confusing because someone comes along and you think, well, there's all these commands. I got to do things, do things, do things. And so it's like, okay, I need, to believe, I need to do these things for me to be a Christian. Well, that's not really true. And then another message comes in about, well, you know, don't worry about doing anything. It's just God loves you. And so, well, of course, and yes, and amen, and hallelujah. But there's commands there to show you how to relate to him and to show you, to bring you into a place of blessing. Because remember, he says, he says, you'll be my treasured possession among all peoples. You shall be my kingdom of priest to a holy nation, just kind of like the Sermon on the Mount. I, I want to make you to be salt and light, to be put on display for the whole world to be blessed through you as I bless you. And it comes through obedience. Maybe this will help. Do you know what's utterly frightening about falling in love? The more you love someone, the less control you have over your life. You know why? It's very simple. This object here, this music stand right here. This music stand makes no claims on me. It never asks me to do anything. It has no loves, no hates, no needs, no desires, no worries. And as a result, I can use this music stand any way that I want. It's just a tool for me to reach my goals. It's an object. But a person, not an object, but a person, a subject, has needs, loves, worries, hates, fears. And the more you love someone, the more you want to get close to them, the more you want to be intimate to them, the more you see their needs, their loves, their desires, their hates, Obligations. It's the way relationships work. What's scary about love, to grow in intimacy, you have to feel the authority of love. Love and obedience in any relationship go together. Now, maybe you've never thought about that way, but for you to grow closer to someone means that you have to be willing to have your will crossed by their will. What they want, what they desire, what they need matters and actually has an authority in your life. If you want to relate to an impersonal object, you can do so without any obligation and you can do so without any obedience, but without obedience to the will of the loved person, you'll end up treating them like an object. You'll treat them like a music stand, like a hammer, like a piece of furniture, We treat some, we treat people that way sometimes. We treat, and we've been treated that way, and we don't like it. You get treated like an object, or you treat someone like an object when you say, "I want love from you," but I want to, I want to hold on to myself. I want to be, I need to be me. I don't want to be, I don't want anything to cramp how I do things. So when you want love from someone in a relationship, but you want to stay who you are, you are using that person, and intimacy does not happen. If you want to draw closer to the people you love, you must let that person cross your will, and if you want an intimate relationship with God, if you want Him to lead you into deep relationship and intimacy with the with ultimate reality with the creator of the universe you have to let him cross your will and that's why he gives the israelites the 10 commandments he says i saved you and now i want a relationship here's my will do my will he does the same thing with us. He saves us from our Egypt into a relationship with him, and he shows us his will through the Bible, and we don't have stone tablets anymore, but he actually takes his will and he writes it on our hearts. We have this thing inside of us, the, the spirit inside of us, and that's when the Bible says to live by the spirit. When it says to live by the spirit, it means the spirit's leading in our life, which is leading us into the will of God, which is the law of God, which when we obey that, it leads us into intimacy, into relationship and these laws and rules and commands of God are not arbitrary, they feel arbitrary they feel as arbitrary as wax on, wax off but they're taking us somewhere, give God a little bit of credit give God a little bit of credit, he's taking you somewhere he's taking us somewhere and we do the dumbest things in our relationship with God we do the dumbest things that if we just thought for a second about human relationships and how they work, we would never ever do them So we will justify sin and and sinful and selfish behaviors with this idea that God just wants me to be happy. So, and somehow I feel like I'm obeying God's will will, because I'm doing what I want to do, what feels right to me. And it's justified under this ban, well, you know, God, God wants me to be happy, so God wants me to do this. None of us, none of us that have Anything remotely close to a healthy relationship ever treat people that way. If you have a date set up with your spouse and you're like, we're going to go on a date on Friday night and then you find out there's some fishing trip uh, that your boys are going on and you think to yourself, you know what? My wife wants me to be happy and this makes me happy. I think I'm doing what my wife wants me to do. Good luck with that. <laughs> that relationship isn't going very well. Why do we do that with God? Eat it? <laughs> do you know how you find out how to love your spouse? You know how you found that out? What do you do, husbands? Much quicker. Much quicker. You ask them. You ask them. Your your spouse has a Ph.D. on how to love them. They will tell you in alphabetical order. How do you find out what God's will is? Let me give you option A, you decide. B is you ask him through his word through his spirit, actually through, and this is amazing, through through like the witness of the community. Because like we, we we are a community of priests that hear God together and, and can read the word of God together and we can help each other in that. He's, he's spoken to us in many, many ways as you ask him. So I get how this works in human relationships, but with God it just seems all one way. So I'm, you know, I'm God, you know, like I thought a relationship is like, you know, you know, I, uh, they cross my will, I cross their will, and we kind of meet in the middle. How come, you know, God, like it just seems all one way. The more you grow in your relationship with God, the more you'll grow in your willingness to let him cross your will. The more vulnerable you'll become before him, the less control you'll have over your life. But the best Christian in the world will never be as vulnerable to God as God has made himself vulnerable to us. He became a human being. He set aside his deity. He didn't grab a hold of it, but he let it go. And you can check on this later. It says in Philippians that he became, the Bible uses this word, obedient to death. Even death on a cross. God has made his move in this relationship. What's your move going to be? That's why, and this this is so relational, that's why Jesus uh, in the New Testament, Matthew 22, was able to sum up the entire Ten Commandments. I know you're disappointed I didn't go through all ten. But he was able to sum up all two. Let me just, Jesus, let me just tell you what it all boils down to. Love God. Love people. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let him cross your will at every point, at every time, in everything. Your emotions. Let, you know, Just like a gym coach stands over you, let him stand over your mind. Let him stand over your emotions. Let him stand over your, your, your body. Let him stand over these things. How do, I love, how, do I, how do I love God? How do I do this? How do I do this relationship? And obey him with everything. Those first four commandments, all about how we love God. The next six, how we love others. And he, and he just to throw this in there, he, he, he says that the second command is just like the first. That how we love other people is a reflection of how we love God. So if we trample on other people, we're trampling on God. If we love other people, we're, we're, we're loving God. But it flows out of this first, this recognition of who he is. That he is the God who saves, that he is the God who comes and says, I want to take you to a deeper place, to a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to show you the depths of my love and my wisdom and my grace. and my, I want to fill your life with honor and dignity and purpose and meaning. That's the invitation. And it comes in this relationship with him, and it comes through allowing your will to be crossed by him so that he could take you to that place. Well, Brian, that sounds good, but let me tell you something. I mess up a lot. How can I, how can I function in this relationship when it just feels like I'm always making mistakes? Let me show you something in 1 John 2. My little children, I'm writing these things that you may not sin. God doesn't want us to sin. God wants us to live holy, complete lives because he wants us to draw closer and closer to him. But hey, if anyone does sin... We have an advocate. We have an advocate. An advocate is a lawyer. Jesus is our lawyer. A lawyer that in a in a trial, in a court case, your success depends upon the lawyer's success. If he's a total buffoon, you know, you're a total buffoon in the court. But if he's a success, you're a success. Jesus is a success. Now here's the thing. I used to think. I used to think, and maybe you think this way, that him being our lawyer and advocate means that he's always going before the Father. Hey, Father, I know they messed up again, but give them another chance. I know they'll do better the next time. I used to think that's what it means, and I began to wonder how many next times are there going to be. But when it says that he is our advocate and he's pleading our case, our case is not based upon our merit. It's based upon his merit. It's based upon the... He's saying, Father, I went to the cross. I paid for every single sin that they've ever committed or will commit. For you to condemn or punish them would be unjust because I've already paid the price. He is our advocate. If we confess our sin, he is faithful to purify and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants this relationship. He's done so much. He's gone out of every way. He's saved us. He's brought us to his place. He shows, okay, do my will and walk in this relationship. And when we mess up, he just, because of what Jesus did on the cross, it doesn't cut us back off, but it's an opportunity for us to run to the arms of our God and experience just how much he loves us. And my kids, you know, when they mess up, they know they mess up. But when they come to me and they see how much I still love them, it's like it was almost better that they messed up because they had this experience of my grace. That's now we're even closer than we were before. And God's, if that's true in a human relationship, how much true it is of God, God wants to show you a new world. Why don't you get out your communication card?